Welcome to Anthony and Todd Show for Trevor Abley. I'm Vincent Thomas Short. Today we got a extra, extra, extra special episode with a interview from Bristol Lo-Fi Band Oro Swimming Hour. We are going to be talking to the members Oliver Wilde and Nicholas Stevenson about their new album Pterodactyl. They're also going to be talking about some interesting stories involving haunted mansions, children's books, and also some obscure British kids television show. Uh, without any further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Trevor, and here's our interview with Aura Swimming Hour. Hey everybody, welcome to the Anthony and Todd Show. We're here with episode three. Today we're talking to the UK duo Oro Swimming Hour. I'm here with Oliver Wilde. Hey. And Nicholas Stevenson. Hello, thanks for having us. Thank you for coming on the show, I really appreciate you. Before we get started, Oliver, you said Nick had a weird accent. Can you explain that? Well, I think Nick might have been born in multiple places at once. <laughs> I see. And grew up in multiple places at once. I think that's I think that's factual. Yeah. I see. I think that's a pretty accurate explanation. Um, I, I see. Yeah. I, my my mum is American, and uh, but I, I grew up in a place called the Seychelles for a few years, which is like a island chain in the Indian Ocean. So even though I've lived in the UK most of my life, I spent too much time just listening to my mum's American accent, and now my voice is weird, so there you go. <laughs> That's what happens when it happens, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, uh, kick things off. How did you guys first get into making music? Well, weirdly, like, Oro <clears throat> Swimming Hour is a sort of a reflection of the very earliest moments in which you begin to make music, in the sense that when you're, you know, like when you're a kid, you just, you get your little cassette recorder and you record silly songs with your siblings or whatever, and I think we, well, that's how we both started out. Just like, you know, very ill-conceived of the moment, just like recording funny little songs. And that's how, I'm sorry, I'm probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree with that, though. I think um, I, I have some tape recordings from when I was like three or four years old or something, and I was just throwing out tunes about giraffes and dogs and uh uh, they're great i really love them you know there's no self-consciousness it's just you know whatever's coming through you and i think we really wanted we wanted to get back to that in our oral swimming hour i mean we've been making music together in various incarnations for a long time and i think when oral swimming hour happened we wanted to just make stuff as friends and not really put any expectation on it that it was going to be amazing or uh, we just wanted to kind of let stuff happen and really enjoy making music together like a kid would and and you know we did use cassette players and sort of simple recording techniques we we weren't going to like throw the whole production uh thing at it uh how do you feel like that has an effect on your songwriting process now do you feel like you try to channel that like inner child or do you think that sometimes you try too hard um I think uh, it's well. This newest album is we had to really think differently about it because we we've made it over lockdown. Normally we'd get together in person and we'd maybe go back through some songs we had lying around and we'd write lyrics together like back and forth. And I think being in each other's company and having maybe a time limit on you know I'm gonna have to go home in like a couple of hours so we need to finish these four tracks or whatever like right. kind of meant, meant we couldn't be too self-conscious and and we just wouldn't overthink anything and and then now we've had to do stuff over the internet uh, where suddenly we do have all this time and we can fuss over things uh, but I, I think we've managed to keep that kind of spirit of fun and 
uh, child childishness. But it is very easy to to try too hard, I think, or let let that self consciousness creep back in. Yeah, it's, it's like the more you learn how to make music, the more of the kind of mystery and magic of it you kind of reveal, and it's actually such an important part of like learning about what you enjoy about making music in those very early moments of you know pure discovery and in you're like indulging this curiosity and and you know years later you learn so much about it that you have this ten you can have this tendency to kind of overthink things and yeah like over swimming out is meant to be like an absence of that just mm -hmm. yeah make it easy as easy as possible uh, did you guys both have musical families, musical pasts, aside from just kind of recording silly songs? Yeah, my drummer was in a... Uh, my drummer... My dad was in a... <laughs> <laughs> Easily confused. <laughs> it's just sim simple words swapping them around. Makes sense to me. My dad was a, a drummer in a punk band called Creepy Howard. <laughs> uh, and, and my dad had a band in the 70s. It sounded a bit like the sort of Bonzo Dog Doodah band kind of thing. Uh, and they okay. were they were cool. called Mar Marvo the Magician. Oh, it was good. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Very <laughs> cool. I like that name a lot. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, when we were talking about you know Dayton, Ohio, guided by voices is one of your big influences. Um, what are some of your other influences? Well, I think just like any <clears throat> any uh, any any artists that use primitive recording techniques, uh, you know, like Daniel Johnston's obviously like a big influence. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, he's a real sort of celebrator of simplicity and so is Oris Wimingara, but um, yeah, like, I guess I guess what we would now consider as, like, outsider artists because I th now I think, well, now lo-fi is, like, a <laughs> very accepted, almost like a, well, it's become a genre more than, like, a yeah. recording technique but, yeah, just, like, uh, that early early Modest Mouse and early Nutrimilk Hotel, that kind of stuff, you know, just just some 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 peeps and their cassette recorder, you know. Oliver, you, um, I think it's your Instagram bio that says you're an ex concierge no, for a it was, haunted. It was the uh, the album description for Lost. That's what it was on yeah. the vinyl website. It says you're an ex concierge for a haunted mansion. Can you elaborate? <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, near where my mum lives, there's this old. It's a really old manor house. I think it's I think it's medieval or it might be Tudor. I think it's Tudor, actually. I know that Henry VIII lived there at one point. Oh, wow. But it's fiercely uh, haunted. And so I got a job as, a, as the concierge there. And it was cool. I got to, like, wear a suit and just greet guests as they came in. And it's kind of like a, a perfect split between just, like, old people who wanted to get away into the countryside. And then the other half were all, like, ghost hunters. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, used, I just, I mean... I'd, this won't get me in trouble, but I used to just make up ghost stories to almost every new person that came through the door. And I'd be like, now listen, listen here, listen here, let me give you the scoop, yeah. And there's uh, this one stair set, if you go there at midnight and turn around a hundred times and say three Hail Marys, then you'll see the devil, I assure you. But they were, they were like deadly serious about it. They had all the equipment and there was, in fact, I think it might have been an American show that came and stayed with us for a bit. And... They had like full on, I mean, I, I don't know what the equipment does, but like all this amazing, all these amazing little gadgets and they were walking around the hallways at night and I was like, yeah, no, there's a good spot down there where the ghost always turns up. 
<laughs> Another one I said was like, there was this shan- in the in the room that is supposedly haunted. There's like a chandelier, and I said, go in, and at midnight you'll notice that all the candles point inwards. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> exactly. And then what would be amazing is like in the morning they come down, and I'd be there, you know, in my suit, ready to greet them, saying, "How was your How was your stay? How was your how was your sleep? And, they, and they'd tell me all their ghost stories. And I actually got some great ghost stories. Some, some, it's, uh, so supposedly there was a midwife that lived nearby. And one night some guys turned up and, and they put a hood over her head and said, we've got to take you somewhere, but you can't know where you're going. But the funny, well, Little Coat House is like at the bo- bottom of a valley. So they put the hood over her head and put her in a in like an old horse and cart or whatever but she knew exactly where she was going from the from the way that the cart was going downhill and they pulled up to little coat house and there was a woman giving birth and the and the midwife helped deliver the baby and the moment this is such a downer for like a music podcast i'm so sorry but like <laughs> uh and they grabbed the baby and threw it on the fire i know it's horrible it's really horrible so the baby is supposed to haunt the the house, and actually, I, I I didn't ever see any ghost activity. I've got to say, but I worked with this guy called Mario, this Italian guy who ran the bar, and I came into work one day, and everyone said that Mario's left, and I was like, well, what's what's the situation? And they said, well, apparently he was he was putting all the chairs up on the tables. You know how they do in bars when they close. Sure. And he looked out the window, the sort of windows that went onto this big life-size chessboard, which actually was quite scary at night time because they're like the size of humans. <laughs> and he said he just saw a baby crawling across the floor and it was crying and looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vamoose if you don't mind. And he never came back. So, <laughs> so someone's seeing stuff. Someone's seeing, someone's seeing stuff. It wasn't just yeah. like an excuse to like get off work. It I mean, it's like a good actual... one. It's definitely a yeah. good one, an, el- an elaborate one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't come back if I saw that. So the, people... the chess board is just the icing on the cake, honestly. Well, that's <laughs> like one of the stories is that pieces on the chess pl- on the chess board would just like move by themselves, and uh, and it was also actually interestingly where the 101st Airborne, the Americans, stayed the night before they stormed the beach in Normandy. So supposedly. Mm-hmm. People can hear like marching and and uh, uh, like parade parading around the site at night. I never heard that, but that's another one that people said. But yeah, my job was to like greet all the greet all the. So when the old people turn up, you just say, "Yeah, it's going to be really peaceful and lovely, and we got a nice swimming pool and everything." And then everyone else, you're like, "Oh yeah, God, uh, you'd be lucky if you make the night, honestly." <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah, that's very awesome. Uh, Nick, it you are a children's book illustrator correct correct yes how'd you get into that um i i studied illustration uh and yeah i mean i think uh, kind of similar to our, our music you know there's a kind of and that interest in outsiders and sort of children's perspective on things like a, you know i uh, drawing is kind of just another way that that comes out for me um but yeah i yeah i've been kind of illustrating for the last 10, 10 years or so and and uh, yeah there's a couple of books out I mean they're really different to what I do, <laughs> do with Aurora Swimming Hour they're like non-fiction books about uh, history and the origin of words and that you know very cheerful and, and colourful <laughs> I see 
Is that something that you wanted to do uh, for a long time? Uh, I think when I started out in illustration, I would have said I just wanted to do really badass album sleeves and <laughs> violent comic books and weird stoner zine sort of things, probably. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I'm really glad to have done it. It's a really really fun way to work, and you can you can have a lot of fun with kids. I think publishers are kind of taking a few more risks now kind of with the way things look and and they're trying not to patronize kids too much i think there's a lot of fun to be had kids are awesome so (laughs) very good uh your instagram bio also says that you make children's music and we've talked kind of about the childlike wonder of your music um with our swimming hour do you feel like um you do make music for kids or from a kid's perspective well, I think I think our music would go really well on things like Mr. Ben and the Magic Roundabout, <laughs> you know. And I, I yeah, like I actually don't know. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Those are two super duper English programs that were they were like they were in the sixties, and the people that made these shows were all like on acid. So <laughs> okay, it's it's it, the yeah. If you ha- if you haven't seen it, Mr. Ben and the Magic Roundabout, but you have to be like pretty blazed. Yeah, well, the, the, <laughs> I don't know if it was every episode of the Magic Roundabout or just the movies or something, but they they were animated with little figurines, and the originals were French, and they sent it over to the UK, and, and an English guy did an English narration, but he didn't get a script or a translation for what was going on in the original ones, so he just had to look at all this quite kind of psychedelic animation, just decide what the heck was going on, and you could tell he was kind of exhausted with it, like, and then he's like, I don't know what we're doing now, like, it's just great, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, I think I think what we mean by children's music is just simple and, like, a celebration of life, it's just, like, nice, it's nice, happy melodies, there's no, there's no malice behind any of our music whatsoever, there's no complaining or... It's uh, it's just uh, you know, it's supposed to, you know, it's supposed to tap into that. I think what we try and do almost when we're making it is like think like children, like just be as basic and uninformed as possible. But it's it's yeah, like if children's music was a genre, you think you know, you think Disney and all that, you know, singing along to right these. And actually, some of the some of the weird CGI children's programs they have now are pretty psychedelic and interesting. But the music, I think, like what Nick said, you know, it's kind of like patronizing towards children. And I think children are a bit smarter than that. And some some children want to engage with different stuff, and we're hopefully going to provide that. Um, going back to lockdown, you, you said this entire album was made during lockdown, or a majority of it was. Uh, did you learn anything new from the process of that? Anything about like the creation process of making music did you learn anything new about yourselves and how you guys operate from lockdown i think i've i think i've learned to have a positive mental attitude towards facebook messenger <laughs> i think that's pretty much all i've learned but i don't know well no like normally nick and i just kind of get together we get some we get some chicken and some drinks and we just like sit there until it's done and it usually takes about four days like the first two records they took about they took, well, the first one definitely was like four days, four or five days. And uh, there's like a, a, an immediacy about not doing, re, you know, not doing retakes or anything like that, just being happy with, you know, as soon as you finish the last word, you just record it and that's it. And there's like, there's a sense of spontaneity in that way. But obviously when you're emailing little tracks back and forth, you can probably spend more time 
overthinking and over analyzing it, which is against our sort of unwritten manifesto. So it's, I think, uh, I think we've learned we probably won't do it the same way again. But it was also just like an interesting challenge. In some ways, this is my favorite record, though. Yeah, for sure. And oh, yeah. for me, it, it did feel really spontane- spontaneous. Like we, because the lockdown just made us sort of drop all our plans, and I, I, you know, I don't know. I just kind of time started to behave a bit strangely, and it, it, I don't know. And we we brought in more collaborators as well. So we, I would sort of do a little something and then pass it back to you online and kind of try and forget about it. And, and then we'd pass it to some of our friends as well. And we, and we were all just kind of working out who, who could do something best. And, and uh, it, it still had a kind of quickness to it. Uh, things were bouncing around. And because everyone was in lockdown, no one could go out. No one was busy. Everyone was responding to us right away. It would be like, can you put a violin on this? And it would come back like 20 minutes later. And it, it was exciting that way, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was like pass the parcel with each idea. Just pass it along. And then it comes back slightly differently. And you react to that and keep going and then someone says it's done and you go okay then it's done mm-hmm. it's great uh, did this album cycle start pre-lockdown or was it completely during lockdown no it's completely during lockdown I mean we <clears throat> probably wouldn't have made a third album if it hadn't been for lockdown I mean, we, we would have done eventually but I think um, no yeah it was just we suddenly we had the time and it, it just happened yeah. Yeah. it usually starts you know like Nick will send me an idea or I'll, I'll send him an idea and then maybe two or three songs start to emerge and then once the ball gets rolling it's like right quickly it's happening that magic thing is happening so it didn't it didn't it wasn't dependent necessarily on the lockdown but the way we recorded it was obviously informed by it but it just it kind of just like happened out of nowhere <laughs> oh god <This laughs> what's my, happening in bristol now <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? If anyone wants an ice cream, the ice cream van's here. <laughs> that is the loudest ice cream truck I've ever heard. He that comes like a church bell. I know. He comes at exactly the same time every day. And I think by, I think there's like a law in Britain of how long you can play an ice cream van theme tune for. And he, pl- he I mean, that that was usually, that's quite short compared to how it usually is. And it's so loud, it's so distorted, and it's like, he just blast. He don't. He doesn't have. You know. He doesn't have a concept of audio quality. He just wants to let everybody. Neither do. Neither do we. To be fair. <laughs> no, and it works because now I'm thinking about an ice cream. Do you ever buy from him? Uh, do you know what I don't? It's. Uh, I get my ice cream ready in the freezer when I when I want it. <laughs> I see. <laughs> I don't want to be told. Being an adult, yeah. I don't want to be told it's ice cream time. <laughs> I think it's funny you guys have a law against like sirens going or ice cream sirens going off because I swear I was at Trevor's like a couple weeks ago and or at his parents' house and the ice cream truck man was blaring his music for a good like 15 minutes and it wow. seemed like he just got like lost in the neighborhood at some point yeah, and that, just kept on going. I was just saying help. That was just a siren for help. He's like, I'm lost. Yeah, our ice cream trucks just play constantly. They never stop playing. Oh, what what kind of tunes do they use? Classic. It's just, uh, it's just turkey and a straw. Just the an old standard. <laughs> and that's it. And they just sometimes they'll blare hello, and it's really weird. It's just <laughs> it's just like it's just one word hello, and then it'll just like restart the tune over and over again. Oh, I thought you meant the line the Lionel Richie track. Oh no! <laughs> I would buy every time. <laughs> 
be amazing. <laughs> no. I, I almost feel bad for the guy. I wonder if he could like hear the music inside the truck. That would definitely make reading your PRS statement interesting. You yes. Know, you got played at a cafe in Romania, but you also got paid an ice cream van in like Poland or whatever. <laughs> Eleven pence. <laughs> yeah, it's the wild, where I live here. It's like the Wild West. I'm sort of like I don't want to show off the Wild West of my where I live, but you're getting it, so it's all good. You've had you've had a scream and you've had the ice cream truck, so yeah, good. No, God knows what's coming next. We'll get back to the interview in just one second. I just want to take a moment to plug some of our social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Anthony and Todd. You can also find this on YouTube if you're listening in podcast form and you want to see a more visual form of it, you can go to youtube.com forward slash the Anthony and Todd show. If you want to find us on podcast streaming services, you can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, and Spotify for searching the Anthony and Todd show in your favorite podcast browser. You can support us monetarily on Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash the Anthony and Todd show. We have some reward tiers that you might be interested in contributing to if you if you're a fan of the show and you want to help support us monetarily that is always uh welcome but it's never required you can always share the show to your friends family whoever just shouted in the middle of the street just shout the anthony and todd show and uh all is good if you want if you've supported if you like us and you want to hear more from us that's a good way of supporting us if you don't want to support monetarily you can find me on twitter at the vincent short you can find trevor on twitter at the alistair mccallis without any further ado we're going to stop this plug break and get right back into the interview one thing i found really interesting about what you guys have been saying about this new album you have out uh pterodactyl is that it it's it's not your most like childlike yet because it's not the most like spontaneous spont spont I always want to say spontaneous. That's not the word. Spontaneous. Spontaneous um, sounds way nicer. Yeah, it does. Uh, it's not your most spontaneous album. Uh, it's not your most like childlike album in nature. But for me, it was your most like whimsical album and your most like fairy tale like because I, I don't nice. know. It just sounds so naturalistic and so it sounds. It felt like I was going on like a journey. Um, do you have any any uh, observations of why that could be possibly like that? I think that well, if, if, you know, we were, we haven't seen each other since we made this record, but uh, so we haven't even really got to reflect on this, the two of us that much particularly. But I, th- for me, uh, there was just a kind of weird sort of feeling that things were going to change, maybe, and things were. I I, I know it's like a terrible time for so many people, uh, and but. Th- I, you know, very lucky. Luckily for me, it, it felt like a kind of strangely beautiful. Like the weather was nice; it was quite beautiful. Uh, like I didn't have to do any work for a little bit. <laughs> it was quite good. And I just, I don't know. Yeah, it just seemed like there was a kind of uh, like a longing that I was feeling that that comes across in the record. Yeah, I think I think ultimately it's uh, however it feels. It's it's supposed to. I get like like Nick said. You know, a lot of people, certainly a lot of our friends. I'm sure it's the same with you guys. You know not everybody's had a good time through this struggle and it felt like it felt meaningful to have something at the to show for this time that wasn't uh that was that was positive yeah i think there's like one lyric on there that's like let the lasso go slack it comes back or something which is just like i just wrote it big so the more i listen to it like it kind of feels feels like just kind of letting things it's like we're just pulling so tight all the time trying to make stuff happen and get through stuff and do things it's like just let it let it go slack and it's all going to be okay yeah so on, on Bandcamp, you you tag your albums as hauntology and hypnagogic pop uh 
so like you already talked about like the I guess the yearning for like past or like the ideas of like trying not to reveal too much about music do you feel like would you classify as that like your main genre or is would you classify yourself more as like a lo-fi artist or I guess yeah I mean we're we're definitely a lo-fi artist and I don't I, I like the term I really like hauntology as an idea like I really like Mark Fisher's writing and um who's kind of applied that term to music recently I don't know that we necessarily sound like other hypnagogic pop bands or hauntology hauntological bands but I think the that idea of sort of um redundant media and the kind of recurrence of the past and kind of creating music that it's not really of the present. It's kind of the sort of. It's almost on an alternate timeline, and by burying things under that layer of tape and crackle, it doesn't. Re- you know, it could be coming from any time, and it feels like a slightly alter. We're creating an alternate world every time we make music. So, so we relate to it philosophically, I guess, in that sense. But probably, you know, we sound like a lo-fi band, I guess. <laughs> um, you guys tour, correct? Uh, we've never not really- as I was swimming out. No. no, we've never really. We've both toured in various projects but we do we do kind of one-off shows but i don't know they're not like they're not like normal shows them they're, they're just like kind of uh, i don't want to say happenings but they kind of are they're just it's <laughs> we we don't really play you know we wouldn't play somewhere because they have a good sound system or it's a perfect venue for a music show we tend to just choose spaces that we lo- feel we can translate what it is we're trying to do better and We've, we've just found that not using any kind of PA systems or like, you know, any kind of amplification, we just, we just kind of stand in front of, you know, usually it's like 20, 30 people, if that, in a small corridor. We played, we've played like in a, we've played in a laundrette, we've played in, we've played in a house, someone's house, and we've played in, you know. A boathouse. Uh, yeah, we played in a, in a scout hut. I just I think those environments are interesting because they're not set up spe- especially for a music performance. You know, there's no lighting or sound guy or whatever, and it just it makes the whole thing so much so much more relaxing to do. You know, there's a lot of stresses that come with you know doing big full scale production shows, which we're both you know have plenty of experience with, and it's just so much it's just so chill we just turn up with our guitars and we go yeah we'll play just stood there and in fact actually we played a show in london and there was a stage and we said we don't want to play on the stage we found this beautiful little sort of like cubby and that was like built into the side of the wall it was like a what how would you describe it nick it was like it was just like a little alcove yeah like a tiny <laughs> little alcove and we decided to just play in there because it's it's just more kind of personal it's weird also having that kind of divide between the performer and like an audience when you want to make a connection and i get that you know when 15,000 people want to go and see nickelback they can't play in someone's front front yard you know they whereas it for us it just kind of suits it i really like that uh, your live shows reflect the kind of music and the idea behind the music that you're making i think that's really cool i mean they're like very intimate shows sounds like yeah i think our Sumgawa is is just we want to just have an absence of stress, just like no stressing, just totally, totally chill. And we kind of apply that to as like if it you know if it was our our philosophy or whatever, we actually apply that to pretty much every single aspect of being in a band. We just no, no stressing, just make it chill, and it just 
and then your own personal attachment to it is only positive and joyous, you know? Very good. A big question that I completely forgot to ask earlier, how did you do meet? We MySpace. Usually, <laughs> yeah. We usually You're going to say we usually lie. <laughs> yeah. We actually, normally, when we do interviews, we, we lie and make everything up because it's, I don't know, we don't really take ourselves particularly seriously as people, but... The reality is, we just met on MySpace. I think I found I found Nick's music. God, I, I wouldn't even know how long ago that was now, but I found his music, and we were starting what we thought was a really rad record label. And really, all we were doing was just like pressing up the you know CDs. Uh, we did like runs of like thousands of CDs, thinking that yeah, man, you just you just press up a thousand CDs and then they sell, and that's it. But <laughs> they they're definitely and how many of those thousand do you still have oh i could build i could build furniture out of it there's enough there's enough to build furniture but yeah and we, i ended up uh booking nick for a show and he came he came down to my little village i don't know what you must have thought when you got there but yeah it was it was if it was probably one stage above the sort of shows we do now yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was that, like a sports bar in Marlborough. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah, it was love at first sight, and we knew that we were gonna. We just knew that we were gonna do something together at some point. It yeah, just happened uh, to be uh, all kinds of circumstances that led to Orison, you know, yeah. being birthed. I think the the, sh- the when we really knew, we're like, okay, like we're we're friends. Like this is a thing. Like we, I think you invited us to play in Bristol, and we booked a venue and the venue pulled out on us and so we were like me and my band were in bristol with all our equipment and we were like well i'm not going home like let's play a show and ollie i think you went into some venue called the, was it the arts house or something and we're just like yeah our venue's cancelled can we play here now and they they said yes and we did and then we were like being too loud upstairs so they moved us downstairs and there was like a spanish class going on down there <laughs> yeah. and we okay. and the and the Spanish class like just finished and then we played to the Spanish class like because they were like the people who were there <laughs> and it was awesome it was a really good show <laughs> and so I think confused. and I think uh, yeah it was like great well you know we yeah so we had to play a show we did the, and the the Spanish class really had a great time and I think and and yeah I think after that we were like okay like this is fun like yeah yeah <laughs> And that's all you need. That's all you need. You just need a place, and you can play anywhere. And that's kind of what we do. <laughs> I like that philosophy a lot. That's that's very good. What does Auro Swimming Hour mean? The name? Uh, well, so when when we were when we were thinking about making a project and doing some music together, we were getting lots of ins- Nick was sending me lots of uh, kind of visual stuff rather than music and he sent me all kinds of pictures and we came across this tribe I think they're called the AREOI tribe is that true? is it the AREOI tribe? something like that yeah we should we should probably know more about it co-opting uh, some of their stuff but there's there is a Polynesian god called Oro uh, and I think uh, there's like a kind of statue or uh, thing representing it, which is really cool. If you look it up, it's just a kind of beautiful uh, wooden thing with eyes. It's great. Uh, so that's that's Oro, and but Oro means gold as well uh, in Spanish, mm-hmm. and it kind of it, it worked in lots of ways for us. 
uh, and then uh, yeah, we we gave gave uh, him his own swimming hour at the pool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I know it's like a super cliche. Around. There's something. There's something. Another kind of thing about our swimming hours. It's like certainly when it comes to writing lyrics and coming up with song names and coming up with our band name it this never really meant to have much meaning behind it it's kind of it's kind of abstract and surreal in such a way that it's uh it's actually almost it's it's not impossible to derive meaning from it but it doesn't necessarily need to have it for it to be special i think and or swimming hours, just it's just nice to say. Like we make up words and all kinds of stuff to to make our lyrics fit sometimes. And I think we just had the same approach to it, to write to come out with a band name. Like I see. Yeah, it's just yeah. kind of funny. Every everything like to me has a an image associated with it and kind yeah. of or a color and it's not like it it's meaningless. But we're I don't like I really like the Cocteau Twins who who kind of made up their own language and words and it's it's you have to like be intuitive with feeling instead of sort of trying to craft a story i mean and you guys said you felt like you kind of went on a story with the album which makes me really happy to hear Um, yeah but it's not always the words that are directly telling you what that story is i think right i feel like i got more out of the uh, actual music behind it than i did the words Mm -hmm. personally this is going to sound like a very strange question so just bear with me if you say that you have to make it really strange now You've got to ask a really strange question now. I think it's just weird for me, I guess, because I'm an American looking outward from my, uh, I say worldview, but I'm using air quotes. How do you feel like British culture or like your British upbringing played in, plays into your music? Mm. Oh, that's not a strange question. That's all good. A A strange question is like... If you weigh a 160 gigabyte iPod and then fill it with 160 gigabytes of music and then weigh it again, does it weigh more? That you know what I mean? As Can you answer yes. that? <laughs> Think about that, or ask someone that when you see someone acid and see what happens. <laughs> Yo, dude, have you ever weighed an iPod? Uh, I think it depends what genre you put on, doesn't it? Yeah. But it's also the emotional attachment you have to the music. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do I, I... I don't really... So I know that I am obviously English and I was born in England, but I don't really have much of an attachment to English culture as such. I kind of... You know, we live in a connected world now and it's easy to not necessarily experience in person, but to, you know, look at and listen to and see all the art from around the world. And I think, like my certainly my like musical and art and f- even film upbringing wasn't really British or English. So I think when you know, pe- no one really has not no one's really heard of us in England. <laughs> like, there's a couple of people in Bristol that like us, but it seems to be yeah, like you guys over over the pond seem to be way more into it. So I don't know. Maybe it'd be interesting to know your take on that do you think do you think our music's more aligned with american culture or british culture i'm just going off of like what you have told us and obviously i heard like your little wild west village kind of thing going on Mm. and i I heard you talking about um 
whatever those shows were, the Wild Roundabout or something. The Magic Roundabout. Is that, yeah, that's what it was. Um, yeah, yeah. That, to me, feels like very British, as well as the song Jim Jam Jum. <laughs> that's true. That, that's that true. feels extremely English to me. I can't place it. I just, that's how well, it feels. Well, you call jam jelly, and we call jelly jam. Yeah. Uh, yes. So I can see how that is, and I know that, like, British people are supposed to be super into, like, scones and jam, so I can see that, definitely. And actually, you're kind of right, like, uh, yeah, if we were in, if we had to talk about, like, shows that we were influenced by or whatever, you know, things like Mr. Ben are quite British, are quite British so yeah actually yeah that makes that makes more sense yeah I, I think I see in Ollie's music that kind of uh, there's like the British childhood and, and Ollie grew up in like a yeah he did grow up in a pretty interesting village I think some of the stories from there are quite psychedelic like guys who can vomit on demand in the pub and I don't know yeah. Ollie, Ollie would tell them better <laughs> yeah I, just, I, grew, I grew up on the, like on a council estate where you know everyone's kind of on welfare and all that kind of stuff but I was very lucky in that when I grew up there were so many interesting characters just and not necessarily happy but you know even even some of the sort of darker people you know that I don't want to like go into too much detail but you know people of all walks of life and uh, it definitely like gave me a a better perspective on humanity because nothing can prepare you for when you you know open your doors to the to the wider world and just see it for what it is it's actually nice when you met some people that have been through all the different experiences that you can as a person and that was so I, yeah i guess in that sense i've always tried to capture that people look at things that may disgust them but other people see it you know there's still quite a lot of love and positivity and joy in it all so i've always tried to capture that and i think that's quite a british thing like you know, like the classic identity crisis thing. It's like, who am I? And working that out is much easier when you're surrounded by people that are very interesting and strange. That sounds very lucky. I'm I'm glad that you had those experiences. Mm. I think they play into your music very well. So that's it for the interview. Uh, without any further ado, we're going to give you a song off their new album, Pterodactyl. It's called Cold Tangerina. We're going to play it right now. Is there anything you guys want to say about the song before we play it? Uh... It keep, was uh, keep hydrated. Keep hydrated. Yep. Well, it was good. Here's Cold Tangerina on the Anthony and Todd show.
This is episode three of the Anthony and Todd Show interview with Oro Swimming Hour. The Oro Swimming Hour consists of Oliver Wilde and Nicholas Steven. Their new album, Pterodactyl, is up on Bandcamp and streaming services like Apple Music and Spotify. I definitely recommend you checking it out. It's a really good, fun, whimsical project. Uh, if you want to find them on Twitter, you can find them at Oro Swimming Hour. If you want to find them on Instagram, also Oro Swimming Hour. This week's episode was edited by Vincent Thomas Short and was executive produced by Dustin Cox. You can find the Anthony and Todd Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Anthony and Todd. You can find us at youtube.com forward slash the Anthony and Todd Show. You can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, and Spotify. Persist the Anthony and Todd Show on your favorite podcast browser. You can support us monetarily at patreon.com forward slash the Anthony and Todd Show. And you can find me on Twitter at the Vincent Short. You can find Trevor on Twitter at Alistair McCallis. If you want to see my weekly internet radio show, you can go to twitch.tv forward slash Vincent Thomas Short. That is it for this episode. For Trevor Abley, I'm Vincent Thomas Short. Until next time, guys, see ya, boyos.